0: Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Today's episode is inspired by a study that was just published on June 23rd that looks at how the storage time of frozen embryos impacts pregnancy and newborn results. On first glance, the results of the study alarmed me on a personal level. Before getting into any of that, here's a bit of history for you about frozen embryos. Embryos started to be frozen in 1983, but this method had a ton of safety issues. It had so many issues that the uptake of embryo freezing stayed pretty low. Only 17% of embryo cycles were frozen in 2005. After 22 years of low uptake with the slow freezing method, in 2008, Freezing embryos took a fantastic turn when the fast freezing technique known as vitrification came on the scene. Here's a gist of how vitrification works The embryos are exposed to a ton of chemicals called cryoprotectants. After getting doused in the cryoprotectants, the embryos are rapidly exposed to liquid nitrogen for a quick freeze. When the time comes to thaw those embryos, they're rapidly warmed back up by a rehydration process that involves fewer cryoprotectants. Because this process involves such quick exposure to cold and then hot temperatures, it lowers the risk of developing ice crystals inside or outside of the embryo, which is bad and tends to happen more in the slow freezing techniques. Fast freezing turned out to be so much better than slow freezing that it officially stopped being considered experimental in 2013, according to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. Now, vitrification is the gold standard for embryo freezing. In 2016, according to the CDC, half of all non-donor embryo cycles were frozen transfers, which is quite a bit more than we saw with the 17% in slow freezing. These days, there are many reasons why a woman would choose to freeze all of her embryos instead of trying to transfer them immediately. First, the results of freezing all embryos have been shown to be just as good as transferring them in the days after fertilization. Some studies have even shown that frozen embryos produce more pregnancies than fresh transfers. So for many women who feel, for whatever reason, they're not ready to have children just yet, either it's a personal choice or maybe the embryo freezing is happening right before starting chemo for cancer, at least now this is a solid option. And for those who prefer to do genetic testing prior to transfer, Freezing is almost always required because it takes too much time to get back genetic results before an embryo stops being stable in culture. Having said all these great things about modern-day embryo freezing, it is worth noting that there are possible risks associated with cryopreservation, which include bacterial contamination, ice crystal formation, premature warming, and reduced viability over time. Today's study is looking at that last risk of reduced viability over time. The study took place in Shanghai, China, in one large hospital-based reproductive center. The center started using vitrification only for frozen embryos starting in 2011, so they looked at the pregnancy and baby results from frozen embryo transfers from the years 2011 to 2017. This study was super inclusive in terms of infertility, Embryos coming from any fertility diagnosis could be included. The only reasons an embryo could be excluded from the study were if it was a second round of embryo transfer or later, because this can impact results, if the embryos were not biologically from the mother, or if the embryos had received prior genetic testing, because that could obviously impact results if they knew they were transferring amazing embryos. Since they cast such a wide net, the study authors wound up including 24,000. 698 women who were going through their first embryo transfer. How they prepared for the point of embryo transfer was not well explained, which means that the authors didn't talk about the specific medication protocols used to induce the hyperstimulation in the ovaries. The notes in the paper state that the embryos could have been produced from either standard in vitro fertilization or from ICSI, aka intracytoplasmic sperm injection, And that involves more external manipulation to get the sperm into the egg. Before transfer, these women went through either natural, stimulated, or hormone driven pre transfer cycles. Again, we don't know what medicines they were taking if they were taking meds. Starting on the day of embryo transfer, the women all took progesterone to help the endometrium become receptive to the embryo. Also, what kind of progesterone was used was not mentioned. Two weeks after the embryo transfer, the women came back to clinic for the blood HCG test to see if they were pregnant. If they were pregnant, they returned again to the clinic five weeks later for an ultrasound to confirm the pregnancy again. Regarding the embryos, the preparation and thawing followed what I believe is standard practice. And if you're curious, I've included many details about these processes on the show notes for this episode at yourfertilitypharmacist.com. Embryos had to be graded of a certain quality to be transferred. Based on the embryo quality or the patient's age, one or two embryos were transferred. Okay, you now have the context of the study. Let's get into those results. I've posted a graph from the study on the webpage at yourfertilitypharmacist.com for a colorful summary of what they found. Looking at the results, they broke out the embryos into four different groups based on how long the embryos were stored before getting transferred. In group 1 were embryos with a storage time of 0 to 3 months. In group 2 were embryos with a storage time of 3 to 6 months. In group 3 were embryos with a storage time of 6 to 12 months. And in group 4 were embryos with a storage time of 12 to 24 months. So if embryos were being stored for over 2 years, they were not included in the study. The happiest results of the study were that Regardless of how the embryo was frozen, it did not impact the health of the newborn. If the embryo had been frozen for three months or 23 months, it did not lead to a difference in birth defects, being born prematurely, or being of an healthy birth weight. Of note, when they were assessing these encouraging results in the newborns, they did not include twin births, which definitely makes their conclusion seem a bit cherry-picked. Moving on from the more to less happy results... The study found that the rate of clinical pregnancy dropped from 56% in group 1 to 26% in group 4. Thus, they had found that the embryos that had been stored longer were less likely to lead to a pregnancy. The results for live birth rates were rough, too. They found that those in group 1 gave birth 47% of the time versus just 26% of the time in group 4. The longer embryos were stored, they found increasing numbers of miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy, but these numbers were not statistically significant, which means that these differences in ectopic pregnancies and miscarriage rates could have occurred due to random chance. Honestly, when I read the abstract for this study, I felt crushed. All of my embryos have been frozen now for 5 months and 7 months and I was worried that my delays in thawing them out have lowered my chances of success. After reading this paper in detail, I saw numerous weaknesses within the study that made me feel less certain about their results. There were so many variables in this study. Women created the embryos using unspecified medication protocols. Then there were again medication differences in how the women prepped for embryo transfer. Also, there were variations in the number of embryos transferred. in group 1 versus 68.7% in group 4 had two embryos transferred. That's about a 20% difference between group 1 and group 4 on how many embryos are being transferred. I wonder if the women in group 1 who transferred two embryos gave them an extra leg up when these outcomes came out. Last but not least, I posted more online about it. The women with diminished ovarian reserve tended to store their embryos the longest. In group 4, 13.25% of women had diminished ovarian reserve compared to just 3.8% of women with diminished ovarian reserve in group 1. I wonder how these differences impacted their results. So I feel like there are enough flaws in this study that I'm personally not going to rush to my clinic and beg them to thaw out my embryos. I'm looking forward to the results of a clinical trial that's going on right now. It should have less murkiness associated with its results. It's randomized and controlled, so there should be less opportunity for selection bias with the patients and their results. Also, instead of taking place at just one fertility center in Shanghai, this one will take place at 12 IVF centers in both Scotland and England. This study is also using embryos from March 2015 until the end of this month, June 2020. So the results will be more proximate to the current IVF technology we're using versus the ones used in the study we've been talking about that include patients from 2011 and the early days of fast freezing embryos. The promising trial that I'm looking forward to is called eFreeze. I'm posting links on the show notes to learn more about it. That concludes today's episode. This coming week, I will be on an anniversary trip with my husband to Alaska, so depending on the Wi-Fi and how much fun I'm having, there may or may not be an episode next week. Either way, I'm so glad you listened, and please feel free to email me at info at yourfertilitypharmacist.com if you have any thoughts or suggestions. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in.